What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ask LFC podcast. My name is Harrison Gilming, Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest Huntersville, and I cannot play drums like that, but I wish that I could. Hey, I'm Mike Moses, lead pastor, Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Happy day to you, whatever day you are listening to this podcast. We appreciate you following along with the Ask LFC podcast. It's uh, We are not trying to shock in all the world. It's a place where we digest some things that have happened at Lake Forest. We explain some why we do some things. We talk about topics that are upcoming and just some general biblical and ministry um, ideas for those who are sort of first followers or leaned in at Lake Forest Church. I forgot to tell you this, Mike, but I'll say it here publicly on the podcast because it was pretty cool. But I, I know this happens to you sometimes as well, but it's just fresh because it just happened. But um, on Easter Sunday, just a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out saying hey to a bunch of people coming in and out. And like multiple folks uh, paused to stop and say thank you for the podcast. Really? And that they were they, – they listened to it while they're commuting, driving around, and they, they catch up on it when they have any opportunity to. So I – as I said to them and as I say to you listening right now, it's just always fun to hear that uh, there's some folks – tracking with us and we're not just uh speaking into the void but we appreciate yeah. you guys for listening uh, thanks for that feedback and uh this uh in the month of may which we're about to enter we're going to have a couple of staff interviews like who works here um we would love suggestions if you ha- if you're like man uh i'd like more of this type of content um or i'd like a certain type of content that i know you guys are capable of and you have it either it's it's some some of the deeper goings on uh, behind the scenes at Lake Forest that would be helpful to know about, or other things about theology and scripture and life. We, we'd love to have suggestions from you. Yeah, that'd be great. E- email us at uh, asklfc at lakeforest.org. We, the uh, that email account comes straight to us. We get it all the time. Asklfc at lakeforest.org. And uh, yeah, it's always more fun when we when we get to interact with some stuff that uh you guys bring to us now we are we are actually this 83 episodes in mike we've been trucking along in this podcast pretty crazy and that reminds me of something that i I went to a a pastor's conference when i was young pastor mike with awesome surfer dude hair bleach blonde (laughs) that's awesome um and this pastor said the guy leading said um uh, generally, people kind of join your church because they sense God is doing something. <clears throat> Why would you join a church um, unless you don't want to grow spiritually? You're like, I want to appear to be mm-hmm. following Jesus, but I don't want to actually be. This place will leave me alone. <laughs> Other than you, if that was your motivation, um, most people join a church because they're like, God is here and doing something and might do something in my life. Uh, but he said... Every three to six months, every church member kind of sort of asks the question, is God still at work here? Hmm. Is God still doing, moving? And that's uh, when I learned that, that's one of the reasons why we tell God stories every now and then on Sunday mornings to hear God at work in someone's life. And so, uh, um, man, if you were not with us in person or online on Worship Sunday, and um, just so that that question can be re-answered for you for the next however many months, please go catch up. It was baptism, 
Sunday, new members, new ministry partners Sunday, excuse me, um, and foundations class, our fifth graders, where we're evidencing God's plan A, where parents are teaching their children the good things about God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They partner with the church, and we that partnership really peaks in the fifth grade with our foundations class. We lead kids to pray for salvation for the first time for their own. If they have not, they either are baptized, or if they were baptized as an infant, we complete their baptism. Off. They didn't expect those guys didn't expect me to fling water. <laughs> it all was over awesome them. though, um, uh, y'all. God is at work in so many families. I, I again in the baptisms in the first service. For those of you who weren't there, I was overcome emotionally in the infant baptism. Seeing these young, co- the, the 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 largest band of people coming through our Welcome One One class right now are young couples with a baby or two, hmm. and I was overcome watching these young families choosing to be Christ in the center of their home, symbolized by covenant baptism. And I had to, I don't know if you were out there. You actually, the band probably came off the stage. Um, I had to tap out. I got emotional. I was like, Jeff, I can't. You do it. And he had to do all the rest of the best. Yeah. <laughs> it was just beautiful. I saw it was a beautiful day. And it was it was uh, it was neat for me. I got a chance to uh, baptize yes. my own 10 year old Ben, which was really, really neat. Um, it was in the second, the 1105. In, service. Yeah. In the 1105. It was it was just a very, a very cool day for us. And uh um, Mike, you you always jokingly refer to it behind the scenes to our team. If when you come in, our band and our tech are, are preparing. You go, guys, it's payday. <laughs> this is what we do it for right here. This is this is uh, this is the day we get to celebrate <clears throat> the stuff that God has been doing behind the scenes. Well, so we know all the fifth graders are making a public profession of Christ for the first time, and there were uh, twenty, thirty something uh, throughout the day. We know that every adult joining the church, uh, actually, my words, I got new words. I heard someone say this, and it fits us. You can't join this church. <laughs> we don't have members with privileges. Yep. You may partner on our mission. And I, I rolled, I, I think, I like that. Um, Me too. But for those choosing to become partners in mission, adults, we know for some of those, that's this is their first ever profession of faith in Jesus. For some, it's a re-up with the Lord after years in the wilderness, etc. So just joyful stuff. Okay, this is a fun little thing. Because uh, not everybody was in the, the 1105 and saw you get to participate. <laughs> I'm going to say participate in Ben's baptism. That's right. By the way, if I still have my hair, my I'd have his hair cut. That it's was pr- it's pretty that it's was pretty boss. wild it's pretty wild his boss got the swoopy it's like swoopy yeah. down in front of his eyes yeah, and, and then tight on yeah, the one side yeah yeah it's, um, it's, by the way we're gonna get around to talking about the wisdom literature of scripture <laughs> which right. is this current sermon series yes but, we will <clears throat> but, but first Jeff Cook revealed I told I said this in staff meeting yesterday I gave him recognition and props I was like Jeff Cook you're funnier than I gave you credit for. Because when he went to sort of co-baptize with you, he was he said the words, and he goes, "Now Harrison, you're gonna you're gonna dunk him. Um, I'm gonna say Father, Son, Son, and when I say Son, that's the moment. And the way he emphasized it, and then you dunked him, it was, was hilarious. <laughs> it was so funny, man. Uh, yes, Jeff. Jeff has a secret. Uh, 
comedic side, which also, I mean, definitely came out on Easter when he was throwing young children on a video. But um, you well, know, I have had a few people say it's great that Harrison said no young children were harmed, but <laughs> but actually, like a couple of people I trust close to me, like I think maybe that was too much throwing children. So, just, well, it's good to know. Just consider that good. Good, you know, it's probably a card you only play once, and it's is out there. We now. wouldn't do it the next time. Probably aren't going to do it'd it. Be again. Like it's habitual. Yeah. You're a habitual offender. You're a habitual child thrower. Probably not a good thing. <laughs> um, hey, one other thing that's happening uh, right now, actually, as of our recording of this, uh, our our worship center is uh, totally transformed, as happens from time to time when things are happening. But this one is for a pretty cool reason that will involve a lot of you uh, who are listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, here, just tomorrow night, as of the moment of recording this, there's like a just massive women's event happening here, just a, a gathering of so many of the women of Lake Forest Church to worship together, uh, yeah. to be encouraged, to share in some food together. So we just basically want to just pause because uh, we're reminded walking in how different yeah. it looks in here. They're getting ready for a big old party. So it's we just really, want to say props yeah, to you guys. Angie, I know you're Emily. Angie's looking forward to that with some friends. And um, about 10% of our church body are registered for this deal, which means it's 20% of the women at Lake Forest Huntersville and or their friends. And that, that makes me happy. It's an author of a really neat book who's going to be speaking. Okay. We started a new sermon series, Kicking and Screaming, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I really just wanted, can we just call it two weeks between Easter and the next Sunday? Because <laughs> um, I just wanted to luxuriate in Easter uh, and all the push for House of Blues up to Easter. But apparently, um, God did not make the sun stand still for a whole week for me, the way he did for Joshua for one day during a battle. So we had to have it. I wish we would have done your idea of just canceling service and have everybody do a big slip and slide out on the lawn, but no one else went for that. The whole staff voted me down on that. Can I know, you believe that? I know. It's a shame. Gosh. Uh, I mean, I had, I had already bought an American flag Speedo because I, I oh, for my boy. bathing suit for this season. I was uh, looking forward to showing Memorial it Memorial Day coming. He's still got time. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it. Oh, boy. Um, okay. No, I won't. Um... I won't. There is a picture of me in the second grade wearing an American flag speedo on my my little swim club swim team that summer. Was that by choice or is that a parental decision? It was the team coach decision and and I was young enough to not care. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so moving on. Let's get that picture out of (laughs) there. Brain. Moving on to wisdom. Moving on to we did start a new sermon series called Necessary Endings. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you some of our thinking behind choosing the series. One of the things that we do, we're viewing this as a wisdom series. And I said that. I mean, I showed our work to the congregation. And that would have hit different people differently. People who are not very church or don't know the Bible very well would be like, oh, you attach the word wisdom, interesting, you know, blah. I think people who know the scriptures well, maybe who traveled with us for the whole Bible in a whole year, would hear that at a at a deeper level and hopefully go, oh, this is a different genre of biblical teaching. Um, uh, so, and it is, this is a, a different genre and the sermons will be a bit different to fit that genre of teaching in the Bible. Um, when we, 
those of you who are longtime listeners or ministry partners here, you'll know we uh, our whole our sections of our staff go away twice a year and start asking big questions of what kinds of things from God's word do churched and unchurched people in Lake Norman need to hear over the a certain six month period. And then our pastors take that raw material and turn it into series. We go find the text in the Bible. But what the another thing the pastors do, though, because we are this is our job. And one reason why we value a biblically educated clergy, we think that wherever you go in church, you it is best if you're under teachers of the Bible who have been trained in the original languages of the Bible, if possible. Uh, who have learned the history of interpretation of the Bible so that we don't arrogate to ourselves that we're the first people to interpret the Bible. There's a whole history of faithful and unfaithful interpretation of the Bible that can can keep us out of ditches today, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but us pastors get together and we geek out on stuff like, okay, what is a healthy, balanced biblical diet for Lake Forest in one the family of churches? We do this as a family in, in the space of 12 months. One of the reasons why we don't pick a book of the Bible like um, Luke and preach through it for one year, two or three years, that's a lane that some churches choose, and it's a faithful lane. And in fact, some churches um, are so fired up about that, they say it's unfaithful to teach otherwise, which is kind of funny because Jesus didn't teach that way. (laughs) You'll notice he picks different Old Testament scriptures to fit different circumstances, different subject matters. So case closed. That's not the only way to preach. <laughs> and I can get an attitude about that if I'm debating with other pastors. Um, but I'm not doing that with you all. Um, so, we, but one reason we don't do that is we need a balanced biblical diet. And, and so in any given year, we're not going to hit every part of Scripture. But we actually, guys, we actually think back for two to three years at a time. Have we had series anchored in the Gospels? Have we had series in the historical books of the Old Testament? Have we had series in the Old Testament prophets? Have we had apocalypse, uh, the book of Revelation or prophecy in in the New Testament? Um, Have we had um, uh, poetry? And so we did Psalms in Mm -hmm. Hope and House of Blues, for example. Now, that was all off the table in our whole year in the whole Bible, right? We just went through it all. So, this year, we started... Where did we start? Oh, I just was looking at it yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I just had it up yesterday from... We sat down gospels. We sat down talking about all, all, of, the, all of this. Yeah, it was um, the Gospels, because yes. whenever we launch a new church, a new city launch, we That's, always start with Jesus stories. Exactly right. So, we started with Gospels. Jesus over everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that whenever there's a new church, baby church starting at Lake Forest, guys, all of our churches, um, we hit the reset button. And we go to Jesus stories because that's where a church needs to be birthed out of. So that is our that is a method that we have. It is, it is a baseline. Um, then we went to uh, um, made for this. made for this, which was that was more strategy for spiritual growth. Our spiritual growth strategy at the church, and that was a little bit all over, but it was New Testament. Mm-hmm. Then we went to poetry, the Psalms. Um, and lament, you guys know about that. Then we went back to the Gospels for the weekend. Good Friday, Silent Saturday, Easter Sunday. Um, and, and, um, and I hope you guys agree that the Easter text of the sign of Jonah, Jesus teaching on that, 
was maybe an unusual, maybe an unlooked-for, surprising Easter text, but I love how pregnant it was. It was awesome. With meaning for the resurrection. Um, And so now we're like, it's time to get some diet from the Old Testament, and we haven't done a wisdom literature series for a while. Let's do wisdom literature. Now, we also... It's not all being geeky theologically. Okay, so let's do a study of the book of Song of Solomon. It was, we also have been in this run of your spiritual growth. And we want to do uh, like a, like if you picture a climbing wall that you pay to go. We want to do one where the handholds to climb the wall of life are practical life wisdom. Because that's what wisdom literature is. Like wisdom for everyday life. Mm-hmm. So this one is not going to include how to pray in four easy steps. It's not going to include how to um, share the gospel with your friends. This is going to be, uh, if you were here last week, how to make good decisions at work. Um, how to know when your boyfriend or girlfriend um, is, you could you should work on it. And there's hope there. Or you need to get out, to quote the movie. Oh, there's another... Um, Jordan Peele movie coming out. I heard about that. I've seen the preview now twice because I've I've been to a couple movies lately. Uh, I'm ba- you know like there's movies you need to see in the main theater and Batman is one of them. I will never not see <laughs> Batman in a big honking theater. I took Angie is like Mike. I love you. We're empty nesters. We get plenty of time together now, so I don't need to say yes to you to go to the Batman movie and waste three hours of my life. So I took myself to see it on a mid-afternoon matinee. It was awesome. I had nachos, gin, the new ginger Diet Coke. It was oh, – I loved every second. Okay. Um, what what was that? Uh, that was that was called a rabbit trail or a tangent. Okay. But you were talking oh, practical about living. practical yeah, living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For practical living, uh, breaking up with your whoever. <laughs> um, so – Is that what got I, you thinking about the yeah. movies? you thinking about going on dates to movies? Uh, <laughs> Maybe so. So um, – uh, oh, this we want this to be eminently practical, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was on Sunday. I got a lot of leaning in and response from it, and I'm looking forward to this Sunday. But I thought for you podcast listeners, you're the kind of folks who have toleration <laughs> for the kind of things us pastors and you talk about, which is, again, this balanced biblical diet. So the the where this will come out of the water, like the above the water line is, oh, we're talking about relationships and work and boundaries and decision making. The below the water line heftiness of this series is we're leaning into the form and the function that there's a portion of God's word where God cares, where there is wisdom. There is, there are wise, God has set up the world in such a way that there are principles to live by and practices that if you do them, life will generally go better. It's not a guarantee. It's not a mathematical equation. Uh, it, it doesn't control God like a Harry Potter potion and make him make you successful. But net-net, if you do these things, you're more likely to be successful. However you, success, does, uh, however you might define success as a parent or uh, et cetera. So, so let me just pull the covers back and could I could we could I just talk a little bit about what is wisdom literature? Harrison, is that okay or have I already lost our audience? No, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Although I will say when you were talking earlier about 
wisdom literature, and then you said we should spend. I think you're going to say Proverbs, but you accidentally said uh, Song of Solomon, and that would be a very different series. Uh, yes, if we've spent five weeks in Song yeah. of Solomon, just for the record, you're right. And by some definitions, Ooh. Song of Solomon is poetry in the Bible. For in some other definitions, it fits under the wisdom literature. Yeah. Um, so there's some list that would keep put song uh, Psalms. Song of Solomon with the wisdom literature and others that wouldn't. Um, certainly not a hill to die on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the wisdom books in the Bible in their probable order of writing are Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and then um, there are two other that are in the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic uh, Bible or, or um, canon called uh, Wisdom of Ben Sirah and the Wisdom of Solomon. I won't comment on those, but if you have a Roman Catholic background, you may notice those in what what do they call that part of the Bible? Apocrypha? The Apocrypha, yes. And actually, in a Roman Catholic Bible, they note these are less authoritative. There is some... I don't think they use the word question. I think I think the last time I looked that up... It's, it's introduced as something, these are helpful, though not being equally authoritative. And I've read them, and, and they're interesting, and they are helpful. But I see why the early church uh, leaders generally did not include them, and it was later that they came back and were re-included. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about an interesting little view of, of the wisdom literature. There, there's a school of thought that's developed over the last few decades uh, that, that contends that these wisdom literature books, again, I'm, we're mostly talking about Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and, and I generally would include Song of Songs and Psalms as uh, uh, wisdom adjacent, um, uh, if not it themselves, and that these books were probably written by what we could call the, 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 the sages. Uh, of of God's people, um, we might call them the the. They've been called the Israelite intelligentsia. So, um, Psalms and Proverbs have many have been many many contributors. Job and Ecclesiastes are the work of generally one hand. Um, scholars debate whether there was a group of sages like themselves, like. We don't ever quite see them named in the Bible, but maybe there was this whole sage group that lived in a different house from the prophets, um, you know, distinct. Or uh, the, the general opinion is this was the general intellectual, spiritual, uh, intellectual. Um, uh, these were the educated of society, but not some sub-distinct group. Um, the sages also, just from the content of these books, they they include things about the palace and the the, the farmer. Um, but they served; they were likely those who served as diplomats, palace bureaucrats, counselors, advisors to the king, educators, musicians, whatever their version of scientists or healers would have been. And and they wrote and edited the wisdom literature in the Old Testament over the course of almost a thousand years. It seems like. Mm. Um, uh, the one category of scholars identifies three different types of wisdom that, the wisdom that run through all five wisdom books. One, uh, village wisdom or folk wisdom. 
characterized by the short, pithy statements uh, with examples drawn from nature. Uh, and it might be framed as instruction from parents to children, like uh, what's the one about ants? Right. The, those kind of things. Um, that's one type is like folk wisdom. Another type is royal wisdom, uh, instructing junior bureaucrats or the prince, you know, mm-hmm. on the intricacies and treachery of palace politics. That's like Proverbs 23, by the way, the beginning of that. Um, uh, by the way, if you've studied government and politics ever, you at some point you read Machiavelli or you know the phrase Machiavellian approach to things. That whole – that was like a wisdom literature written in Renaissance Italy in the form of instruction from a senior uh, official to a young prince who will one day be king. Mm-hmm. It, his number one writing, I believe, was called The Prince. So fam- familiar, like that was leaning into this familiar form, and that's how the book of Proverbs begins, actually. Um, and then a third category of wisdom literature. So there's sort of folk wisdom, there's royal, you know, or or ruler wisdom, and then there's theological wisdom of deep reflection on, on uh, things like is there a God? You know, Job. If there is a God, why do such awful things happen? Ecclesiastes, Job. Uh, that, you know, and these are weaved throughout all these types, most of the different types of wisdom literature. The ways that the way that I talk about wisdom literature just did this with my seminary class a little bit because when you're when I was teaching church planning Harrison, it's interesting. The first couple of years I did it. Um, uh, of course, hey, look, there's a birthday balloon going down the middle of Gilead Road by itself. A oh. helium balloon anchored to something bumping along, like keeping to its lane. Oh, and there's somebody on the wrong side of the road, parked. Trying to get it? Getting out, grabbing the balloon before... Oh, no. Oh, God. Okay. Squirrel. We're good. They, We're safe. They succeeded. Mission accomplished. Balloon, $2 balloon saved. Man. And nobody died. That was a high level of risk for a <laughs> I low saw the amount of reward. First. It just tootling along. Man. Down the the, wet, the eastbound lane of Gilead. Is there a, is there a proverb for that situation? There might be. <laughs> there there may be like the relative value of pulling over into the opposite lane of ongoing traffic on a busy road to save a two dollar balloon. Um, so here's how I practically talk about uh, in my church planning class. We talk about the spiritual why plant churches, the biblical basis, the Great Commission, etc. Lots of reasons why. And then we talk about the how. And my students tend to, or in the early years, react a little bit against, Mike, you're talking about the practicalities. Like, but what about God? What I mean, don't I just love Jesus and teach the Bible faithfully? And I'm a little offended that you're, you're getting technical about how, the ins and outs of how to plant a new church and how to organize and incorporate and such and such. And, and I, I learned to talk about this aspect of literature in the Bible, wisdom literature, because, as I said, as I say every year in my church planting class, no church plant has ever failed for lack of passion for Jesus. Mm. What kind of an idiot pastor would go start a new church with where like half of them fail within five to seven years, and you get paid less than a youth pastor yeah. when you start? <laughs> Um, not to denigrate youth pastors, but I've been there, done that. Um, um, we pay ours very well, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, uh, 
like it's a risk. It's a risk to yourself. It's spiritual warfare. Church plants never fail for lack of zeal. When they fail, it's it's either for lack of character in leadership or lack of wisdom. Learning best practices, contemporary and and best leadership and organization building practices from what we've learned about how God makes people to work in organizations. And then I demonstrate a psalm, uh, a psalm of ascent, I forget which number, which talks about uh, they're praising God as they're going up to a festival to Jerusalem in the temple. And they're talking about the spiritual side, the fellowship and the joy and the worship of God. And then they also talk about the wisdom and structure side, the walls of the city, Hmm. the seat of judgment, the laws that allow this and don't allow that. And it's a pretty cool exercise, and a lot of lights come on, that there's spiritual vitality and there's structure and wisdom and process in God's people and God's community. And so the wisdom literature is that side of things, while also, yes, being about the larger big questions of life. Um, and the wisdom literature, by the way, is particularly the book of Proverbs, Harrison, um, there, it many of the sayings in Proverbs, and I, I don't have in front of me what per, in front of me what percentage are sh, were derived and and lifted from other ancient Near Eastern cultures. In other words, the wisdom literature is not special revelation from God just to Israel about things that we can't learn. We can only learn that God's name is Yahweh if He tells us by divinely revealing that. To Moses, we can only learn the Ten Commandments, the covenant, right? Um, that's special revelation given to God's people, and Jesus is special revelation. Wisdom is general revelation. You don't have to know God or love God or acknowledge there's a God to learn that if you work like an ant all day, every day, and you store up food then in the winter you're going to be fine, as opposed to, this is an Aesop's fable, the grasshopper who's carefree during the summer and does not store up, and remember, then he doesn't have food and is hungry in the winter unless the ant shares it with him. Um, that's general, every human, any wise human being. And so the wisdom literature, does, this is a helpful category, y'all. And so what we're talking about in this series, and one reason I'm, I'm, I'm using the book by a Christian psychologist is, there will be insights for, not from Christians, but from those who are really good at studying how the human person works in relationships and what stilts us and what doesn't. We'll intersect it with God's special revelation from other parts of the Bible. Um, did I paint that picture accurately, Harrison? Oh, yeah, totally. And I, I think it's so helpful, too, because there are there there's a, a thing that's said that it's like it is true, but it's not true. Where sometimes you'll get someone who will get in a, a argument, and you'll see him posted on Facebook. Maybe this is where this type of thinking pops up the most. But they're like, every literal thing you need to know in life is right here <laughs> in the Bible between these pages. And yeah. it's like, yes, but also like, if I want to become a doctor that performs open heart surgery. I might need to read some other things to help me be good at that besides the Bible. There's other wisdom that is out there to help us. That is, God has his hand in that stuff 
also he for the an open heart surgeon that's that that's a task of saving lives that's a good thing to get good at mm-hmm. for somebody and there's nothing wrong with uh reading something so yeah there there are many many wise things out there but we filter it all through this overlay of yeah. which is all over the proverbs also it's like so much about <clears throat> putting putting God's word as the, as that cornerstone of your life, as that filter that you process yeah. everything else through to go, okay, is this good? Is this something I should, should follow? Let me put it through this first. And if it checks those boxes, all right, full speed ahead. But yeah. for the record, yeah, that's, that's what I think of when you talk about that wisdom stuff and, and particularly really smart people who are really good at things and figuring things out. And there's, there's a lot of wisdom in seeking counsel from wise people. Yes, and and when when we talk about general revelation, and, and that's what wisdom is in the Bible and outside the Bible, um, this is at, oh Harrison, <clears throat> this is the part of God's word out of which um, a modern the birth of modern science, which gifts the human community with so much knowledge and flourishing modern medicine, etc. This is why modern science. But, uh, first of all, this is why early uh, is, Islamic society science flourished and mathematics uh, movement forward. You may or may not know about that, but um, the Islamic world flourished in science to, only to a certain point in uh, the, the uh, Middle Ages. But then the Christian Christendom flourished and kept going mm-hmm. <clears throat> And both out of this part of God's word, because um, Islam shares the Old Testament, of course, in their own version of it in the Quran. And it's because here's what the wisdom literature and what we just said about general revelation, when it's tied to a God-centered worldview, it means the world is comprehensible because God is. God is a rational being. He's gifted us with a rationality. And one reason I include the Psalms in wisdom literature is because one of the most fundamental wisdom affirmations of Psalms is that the heavens declare the glory of God, that we can look at the natural creation, right? It's said a bunch of different ways in the Psalms. Natural creation actually is a vehicle of revelation. Um, And that's true, natural creation, how human beings in groups of different sizes work. That's part of natural creation speaking back to, oh, God made humans to work this way when it's three, this way when it's two, this way when it's 2,000. Mm-hmm. And you learn, you observe God's creation there, uh, and, and then you apply, you take out principles. So that's where, don't, don't let anybody kid you, the modern scientific enterprise and belief in the rationality and comprehensibility of the universe to a certain extent stems out of a Christian worldview and is rooted here in the wisdom literature. And I think that's super cool. Let me mention Mm -hmm. one other thing. If you take the wisdom literature by itself in the Bible, particularly Proverbs, you could, you could lead yourself to believe, Oh man, if I do things the right way, God will prosper me. And, and by the way, there are whole streams of Christianity that choose to prefer this side of this bent of teachings in the Proverbs. That if you do this, you succeed. If you do this, you, you fail. The wise person does this and succeeds. Their plans prosper. The fool keeps his own counsel and fails. That's a baseline, one of the most common repeated 
general wisdom principles in Proverbs. You could take that and turn it into great. So the God life, the good life means I just do the right thing and, and I'll succeed. I'll have health and wealth. Nothing bad will ever happen to me. And we're all aware there are churches and streams of Christianity that emphasize that. It's called health and wealth or prosperity teaching. And that is in the wisdom literature. And what we, this is where I love it that we have the whole counsel of God and why we need a rich, thorough, well-balanced biblical diet. Because then Job, within the literature, it's wisdom literature itself, <laughs> is a 33-chapter argument with the bent. So, so in the scholarly literature, it's that the, the sages of Israel in this ruler class, you could say, uh, generally a lot of them have succeeded. And, and they're aware of the principles that got them there that are God principles. And, uh, and that if you violate them over and over, you're, you will be poor. <laughs> if you, you know, principles of debt versus not debt versus hard work, right? Um, th- there's some fundamental ones where that is, that is pre- always predictive. Um, and so, but they, those sages tended toward that side of the way God created things. But then Job comes in, successful person, a sage, and grapples with, I did all the right things, and I lost everything. Hmm. And the other sages, his three friends, argue for 30 chapters, well, there must be sin in your life. You must have done something wrong um, because wisdom, only wisdom is true. God only rewards those who do right, and he only, curses only come to those who do wrong. And Job argues the right perspective. No, it doesn't, it's not that predictable. God is not a genie. Uh, life is not a mathematical equation. We're in a fallen world, and sometimes bad things just happen to good or bad people, and it's a contingency of a lot of other good and bad things that happened, and we don't control them, and God has allowed under his providence for secondary, tertiary, quadrationary, that's not a word, causes <laughs> to happen under his providence. And, and then, you know, there's a little bit of an answer in the last couple of chapters of Job, which is God's majesty and, inscrutab- and beauty and glory and inscrutability. Uh, and so, because the rest of the Bible's special revelation that God's grace is not according to what we've done uh, or left or not done, that oftentimes, right, all the things I just said. And so the wisdom literature is one side, one leaning in the understanding of God and what it means to be human. Special revelation is sort of the other side of it, more the mystery side and the uncontrollable, and we just receive grace. And, and it's just a gift, and we just live into that, irrespective of what we've done or what we will do. Um, and Job is the intersection of those two. And I think that's quite beautiful. And if you don't, you can read that, and critical scholars will go, oh, the Bible's inconsistent. And you know what? That means you, you just took a, a, a shallow reading of it um, philosophically and textually and historically. I think it's beautiful, quite frankly, and it gets to the mystery. I also think it reflects what we know about sciences. It's where sciences are today. There's, um, there's a, a, a Newtonian understanding of science, which is at the atomic level, um, cause and effect, 
uh, you do this, it has that effect, yep. and it's always predictive at, at that level. And now we have quantum science and mechanics that says it's actually kind of all chaos and unpredictable according to an observer or the observer. Mm -hmm. Science is looking for the great unifying principle. There is – they don't know how those two fit together. And I think that's very similar. I, I think, number one, it may be reflective of actual this reality hmm. within God and humanity and the way he created reality. But but what I just said about wisdom literature, special revelation and general revelation may reflect that as well. And And the closing chapter of Job brings all that together in the mystery and the glory and the goodness of God who says, trust me, I love you. It's funny because just like <clears throat> theologians, it, it totally befuddles scientists. They've been looking since Einstein for a hundred years for, they call it the theory of everything. Yes, to the unitive principle. How to how yeah. to how to sync up new, Newtonian and quantum physics, and no one's been able to do it yet. They've come out with some pretty far out <clears throat> stuff, but yeah, there there is definitely a, a certain like mysteriousness to things yeah. that is very uh, very unexpected, and, and and it does remind me of Job. It's funny. Even Job's friends were not totally off base to think the way they were thinking. It's like real, a lot of, a lot of, you know, Levitical kind of thinking. If this happens, mm -hmm, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sends the father onto the son. Yes. If, the, if someone takes your eye, take their eye, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's just, it is interesting having that in there. And then the end result is kind of God being like, if you think that you're going to all the way box box me into anything, mm -hmm. then that's not going to work. Or right, human right. life. So the rest of this series, you'll see me and we'll have a couple of other people preaching. Um, I'm going to unabashedly lean into the sage's view the, that if, if you act more wisely according to relationship principles that are available in Scripture and just go buy the book Boundaries. Go get counseling. There are wisdom principles available from believers and non-believers. And if you avail yourself of those, it will go better in your relationships. I'm not going to promise you. God won't promise you. They will all be perfect, but it will go better. I will lean into that. And there's the behind the scenes of our Balanced Biblical Diet and Wisdom Literature Oriented series. Hey, we seriously would love your questions even more your suggestions for how to improve this podcast. Thanks for listening to uh, today. Um, we love doing life with you here at Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Catch you next time. See you guys.